Our passage today is Revelation 12 through 17, or sorry, 2, 12 through 17, to the per- church at Pergamum, and to the angel of the church at Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny the faith, even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed, and thank you, Tyler, so much for for reading. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Good morning. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to continue our Letters to the Church series. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. If you want to get a head start, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some in the back, and we would love to have for you to take that and have that. Um, um, it's our gift to you, and really, it's ultimately, it's God's gift to us. Amen. What a, what a beautiful treasure His Word is, as we're going to see today. Uh, before we dive into the Word, uh, we are, we're a family here um, at, at Harvest, and our, our mission here, our vision is one, church, one mission one church, one family. So I just want to share a couple of different things that God's doing in our church as we are a family. And, um, and so one of them is I really want to encourage you and challenge you this week to be praying. We're on mission every, every day, uh, but we have some specific people that are on a mission trip this week. And so uh, pray for Carlos and Emily Ortecho as they have led a team of college students to join with other colleges down in Panama City Beach, Florida uh, with crew um, on a mission trip to share the gospel on the beaches. I mean, Tough assignment, but somebody's got to do it. Um, but uh, no, seriously, it is. You know, imagine you going to college kids on spring break and be like, come on, let me tell you about Jesus. Um, and so just pray for God's hand to really move and God's hand to really work there. And also Kaya Edwards is helping lead another crew team to Puerto Rico right now. And so she's a, a faithful part of our church family as well. So just be keeping them in prayer as we live on mission. Um, and from a church perspective, I think it's really uh, important here. We, we love to make disciples. Like this is what we're all about. And so we want to talk about not just some aspects of that, because great, but all aspects. Because Jesus said, you know, teach them to obey all that I have taught you, right? Not just some of it. So part of this is, is, is part of that aspect is what does it look like to be generous and faithful in every aspect with our resources and our stewardship. And so I just want to draw to your attention and ask for your prayers. Um, God has been so faithful to our church financially over the years, and just thank you so much for your faithfulness, your ongoing faithfulness. God is using you in a huge way. But if you were to pull up the the Sunday Bulletin online. Um, you, can, you can scan it with your phone on the bottom of your sermon notes or the, the QR code in front of you, or you can go to harvestanapolis.org slash bulletin. And you'll, you'll see that our, our giving right now for this month is $3,915 as of um, Thursday. Uh, that is the lowest monthly giving to this date since we've had since 2016. Um, we are doing a good job in trying to steward our resources, what God has given us well, in terms of up into this point, the calendar year, we reduced our budget. The elders did last month from 28500 a month to 25000 
five. Um, and uh, just the, so the good news is our, we have an amazing staff here and they've done a phenomenal job stewarding the resources and sort of cutting expenses so that the actual giving from our fiscal year, which is September through, through August, so we're about halfway through the fiscal year, um, we're really right on, we're breaking even more or less from what, we've, what the giving has given to what the expenses have been. But the reality is, is our giving has been pretty, pretty low. Um, um, so I would just pray that, pray with me that God would, would provide. Uh, so far for, for the fiscal year, we're about $9,600 under that. That's adjusted with the 25.5 monthly rate. And so my, my encouragement and my challenge is this, God's faithful. And he's called us to an amazing work. Our, our attendance is rising. People are coming, but giving has been dropping. And so my, my, my challenge and my encouragement for all of us is, as disciples is, are we doing what God is calling us to do and stewarding our resources to give and give generously? And so I would ask for you to pray for God to provide and ask God to pray, that you would pray and say, God, what would you have me do? Maybe on a one-time basis above and beyond to help us to catch up but not just catch up, but to keep up on a reoccurring giving basis. And you can give in the back, you can give and with a check, you can mail in a check, you can give cash, you can give via online, you can even set up a recurring gift online, which is what Ann and I do. So the first fruits come from our, or what God has given us from our salaries and whatnot go to the Lord, which is what he calls us to do in terms of worship. And so really that's, that's the challenge. We're family, right? If you think about your own nuclear family, it's just not like mom and dad do everything, right? At some point the kids get chores, there are responsibilities, part of growing up. And so, um, you know, what you give helps, helps your, all of our kids get the word of the Lord on the same morning, keep the lights on, have the mission, the gospel go forward. And so we all get to be receivers of it, and now we get to be participators in it. So my, my ask and my challenge, and really it's God's ask, is that you would really prayerfully consider what God would have you do as you partner together. We're family, so we all have ownership here. Um, and so just pray that God would just do an amazing thing, because God's opening incredible doors, and we want to be able to walk through them. Amen? Because um, God is changing lives. And so that's just pray with us that God would move in a significant way. Um, I think speaking of church, these, these cards, and uh, I know Pastor Andrew referred to them initially, but some folks have come in since then. Invite cards. We want to challenge you to invite people, right? We want to fill this, we want to ask God to fill this place up because we believe that Jesus changes everything. So I want you not just to take one or two cards on, on the chairs. Angie's already got picked up like a hundred of them from the back, but like who in your name, be praying, who's your one or who's your 10 or whatever, who can you be giving and praying that God would invite them, not just to Easter, but Good Friday. So on the one side of the card, it's Good Friday service. On the other side of the card, it's Easter. One, one card, two services. Um, and so just be prayerfully uh, praying that God would, would have, who God would have you invite. And you never know, people are more open right now to receiving a personal invitation to come to Easter than they, they are throughout the rest of the year, other than Christmas Eve. Um, and we're going to have a, if we don't pray, nothing else matters. So we want to really encourage you to sign up for the 24 hours of prayer. Like prayer is our, what, what, to our spiritual lives, what, what breathing is to our physical life. So we want to be praying and we want to pray that God would move. We're going to get a prayer guide. So sign up online or sign up in the back for a prayer slot or two or three, whatever the Lord would lead you. Praise God for that. And speaking of prayer, we want to do some of that right now. We are a family, and um, there's a lot going on in the life of our church, but we are committed to living life together, bearing one another's burdens, and we believe that God heals, God works, and God is, is in control. Amen. And so right now, I just want to bring to your attention a couple of specific things. There has been some new life that has been born into our, fa our church family, both um, kids and grandparents. So we want to be praying for that. As those adjustments happen, there has been uh, some folks in our, in our congregation that are grieving the loss of loved ones, and we want to be covering them in prayer. And we want to specifically call to your attention two things. Be pr continuing to pray 
pray for Ali Gangora um, and some essential tests that are coming up soon, uh, that, it, that those tests would reveal that the tumor has shrunk to the point that the mastectomy can be scheduled sooner rather than later. Let's go to the Lord in prayer on that and continue to do that. And then also Lisa Dressel. Lisa is a beloved member of our church family, but she's been in the hospital for the last week. Um, she struggles with significant autoimmune diseases, and part of one of the repercussions of that is she gets severe sores in her mouth and her lips to the point that she's struggling to, to consume food right now. Um, so she's the wife of one of our elders. Um, and so uh, just pray for nourishment. Um, vital signs are good, but just pray for nourishment. Pray that the sores will go away so that she can consume food on her own so she can go home um, and just pray for that continued journey there. She's so faithful. She leads our prayer ministry. And so it's our time to come around her and pray for her and pray for God to work. And uh, just if you think about it, maybe reach out to Ted and Lisa, just provide a a text of encouragement, Christy, um, the family, and just encourage them along the way and just love them. Um, they love you guys so, so much. And she prays for you more than you ever know. Um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We are a family of families. We are your family. And God, we just pray right now that in this moment that you would work. God, we cry out to you. You are the, you are the great physician. And God, we cry out to you on behalf of your daughter, Lisa, and on behalf of your daughter, Allie, on the Gangora family and the Dressel family right now. God, that you would just uphold them with your righteous right hand, that you would heal, that you would give the doctors wisdom and grace as they run myriads of testing for what is next in each of their circumstances. God, we pray that you would give endurance and perseverance and sustenance and strength. And God, that you would provide encouragement to, to Chris and to Ted as they shepherd their wives and their families through this, that you would just be with uh, just the, the, the kids. And um, God, I just pray that your hand of mercy would be so evident on their lives, God. God, we come around them believing in the power of prayer because we believe in the power of you. And God, when, when you, you change everything. And God, I just pray that you encourage them. And I, I pray that you would strengthen families that have had new life born into them recently. I, that we praise you for that. And God, I pray that you would sustain and, and give endurance and perseverance. And God, just the joy that comes with that. And for those that are grieving today, God, grieving the loss of a loved one, I just pray that you would comfort them with the reality of the hope of the gospel, that you would uphold them in the middle of the pain. And God, that you would just continue to strengthen them as they walk and that you would work in each and every one of those situations, God, for your glory. God, because we love you and because you love us. God, thank you so much for the promises that you are at work for your good in every situation. Thank you for your provision in every way. And God, I just ask that you would continue to do that for your church and for each of your families represented here. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. We serve an awesome God. And so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. And when I say the word, um, phrase, worship wars, what comes to mind? Worship wars, if you've heard of that. That's a, a, a coined phrase in the, in the last couple decades in the church. And one of the, the things that is evident of that is the debate between should we sing hymns or contemporary music? Should we have a drum set on stage? Should we sing this type of song or that type of song? And believe it or not, uh, whether you're familiar with the church or not, this is actually divided some churches um, and caused quite some consternation. Well, what we're going to see today from the text in Revelation chapter 2 and Jesus' letter to his church at Pergamum, his letter for us today, is he, this is a worship war. It's a, it's a battle for the control of your heart and mine, because worship is, by definition, ascribing worth. Who sits on the throne of your heart? More than a musical note, it's a posture of a heart. 
And the letter today is going to declare the war that is, is going to speak to the battle on the hearts of every individual in the church at Pergamum and every individual gathered here at Harvester listening online as you're part of our family as well. And going, who sits on the throne? And the question that Jesus is going to ask, ask us to answer is to decide today whether you're going to compromise your faith or you're going to live with conviction to your faith. The decision is, are you going to be one who is devoted to God's word or one who will desert God's word? Now, so many of you have and or do serve in our military, and thank you from the bottom of my heart. You guys are amazing. Now, in the military, what happens if you desert your post and you get charged with desertion? Bad stuff. What happens if you get charged with desertion in a time of war? Really bad stuff. That's the spiritual question that Jesus is asking us today. There is a battle. There is a spiritual battle happening. We've been given the word of God. Will we be devoted to it or will we desert from it? Because Jesus is going to say, it's pretty simple. If you are devoted to my word, you will receive a reward. If you desert my word, you will experience destruction. The choice is yours, church. What will you do? More apropos, who will you follow? The big idea for today is this. The compromising of my faith comes from when I worship culture over Christ. When I desert the word of God to follow the word of the world, I am compromising my faith. When I'm devoted to the word of God, I'm holding firm and fast to my faith. And the choices that you make today have consequences both on this lifetime and for all of eternity. But praise God, as we're going to see today, even if we've given up on him and deserted him, he never deserts us. And he always gives us hope. He always provides us a way out through the blood of Jesus Christ and his grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. And God, I just pray as we dig into your word, God, that you would just move in our hearts to be dedicated to you, to be devoted to you, and reveal in our hearts those areas of our lives where we have deserted you, if we're being honest, and bring us back again to our true love, to following your word, and God, to living the way in which you would have us to live, God, for your glory. Holy Father, do what you're, you promise. Use your word to convict and compel, encourage and exhort as we're going to see directly from this text today, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, I pray that we would just open our hearts and lives, Holy Spirit, to what you want to do. And Father, I just pray that you would just move in a mighty, mighty way. In your name we pray. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, as, as Tyler read previously. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. And, the, and to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write, The Lord's of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell and where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. 
but I have a few things against you. You, you, you have some there who holding the, tr- the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon in war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Church, the question is simple. The comparison is direct. Will you compromise your faith and directly experience the wrath of God? Literally, Jesus warring against you. I don't know about you, that scares me. That's not even an appropriate word. Or will you hold fast to the word of God and experience the reward that Jesus describes in verse 17? Jesus is writing to the church in Pergamum and to us today Pergamum was the official capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor and had great nationalistic pride in their relationship with Rome. It was arguably the most distinguished city in all of Asia Minor with about 200,000 volumes in a library. And my son Isaiah would love that. And some of you might as well. It was the second most in the world at that moment. They had temples dedicated to many pagan gods, including the God of healing, which was symbolized by a serpent entwined around a staff which is still a medical symbol used today. There was a great altar to Zeus, one of the wonders of the ancient world. The city was at the epicenter of emperor worship and state worship. They loved their leader nationally and they loved Rome. They worshiped them. They literally said, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Savior. And this is going to be the comparison over and over and over again. Why? That's why Jesus says Satan's throne, because Satan sat on the throne there. There is a pagan God there as comparison to our Savior sitting on the throne. In many ways, they worshiped country over Christ. And let's be really, really real. I love our country, but we have to be very, very careful here in the United States to not worship country over Christ, right? And thank you so much. I love our country. Thank you to so many who serve and do serve. But there is one king, and his name is Jesus. He doesn't sit in the White House. He doesn't rule in the Kremlin. He sits on the throne in eternity. He's first in all, and he's first over all. We're going to see today that while some in the church in Pergamon all faced deep opposition from the outside, some succumbed to it, and some stood faithfully in it. The deepest vulnerability was happening in the adversity that was actually happening in the church on the inside from the hearts of people. Jesus starts in verse 12 by declaring his authority, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. That's a direct reference back to chapter 1, verse 16, and it's a direct reference to the word of God. What's the sword, the double-edged sword? It's this, God's word. God's word. He's saying, I have the authority. God's word has the authority. It has sovereignty. It has supremacy. The word of God, like a two-edged sword, cuts through. It cuts deep. It penetrates. It will accomplish God's purposes. And it has two sides to it. To some, the word of God is life. To others, the word of God is death. 
It convicts and it compels, it encourages and it exhorts. Paul says in Ephesians 6, it's our weapon in the spiritual war that we have. It has the power and it needs to be our authority. It cuts quickly and cleanly. It what is the word of God to you? Just another book by some person or persons? Or is it the ultimate authority in your life? The author of Hebrews describes God's word as this in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Again, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, including you and I, is hidden from its sight, and but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom to what? Whom we must give what? An account. There is a day, Jesus is risen and reigning, where we will stand before God and have to give an account for our life, and there is no hiding. You can hide stuff from me, your spouse, your boss, your parents, but you will not hide anything from God. He already knows. He already knows. So the question is, is all of your heart submitted and surrendered? So worship says Jesus is number one overall, which means I'm going, the outflow of that is I'm going to submit and surrender my life to his word, to the two-edged sword with Jesus wields. God's word is divinely inspired. It's without error. It's trustworthy. It is our final authority. There is this battle right now in culture that part of culture says my feelings are my authority. No, they're not. They're real, but they're not your authority. They're not truth necessarily, apparently. They're real in their sense you're experiencing them. But if that's what you then choose to make your decisions based off of, we often live in error, right? This is the only absolute truth. God's word. Who are you allowing to be your source of truth today? We're going to see that that's a key core question. The people of God deserted the word of God because they dethroned the authority of God, God's word. They started to follow the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans over God's word. They listened to the word of the world over the word of God. Where are you doing that in your life? Because that just leads to destruction. Jesus, verse 13, Jesus knows where you live. I know where you dwell. He's like, I know how hard it is in Pergamum. I know the culture. It is, here as it is, it's where Satan's throne is. It is hard. It is difficult. The pagan culture, there is so much temptation. There is so much pressure, hostility, adversity. But here, church, here's a, here's a reality. There is no outside circumstance that negates our responsibility to live faithfully to the word of God. Rome had given Pergamum, the city, the rare power to exercise capital punishment on their own. Rare. Guess what the symbol of that was? A sword. So Jesus here is saying, you, yeah, Pergamum, you might yield the, the sword on earth, but I yield the sword of eternity, and I am the ultimate judge, and I sit sovereign and supreme. And some of them, like Antipas, stood fast, just like the church we saw last week at Smyrna, and they laid down their life. They stood faithful even to the point of death. They martyred. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. However, there were others who had wandered and deserted, 
verse 14, but I have a few things against you. So in the commendation of the faith of some, there comes the exhortation, the conviction, the complaint, if you would, from Jesus to the church. It says, a lot of you have drifted, have deserted the faith. Which one are you? Remember, the compromising of my faith comes when I worship culture, culture over Christ. So today we're going to look at two daily decisions that we need to make. Decisions of devotion. Again, devotion or desertion. Devotion or desertion. Which one? That's the decision we all have to make every day when we get up. Am I going to base my life, my actions, how I spend my money, use my time off of what God's word says, how I respond to that email, or the word of man? The first daily decision that we have to make this is this. Compromise my faith and reap Christ's wrath. Decisions have consequences, don't they? They do. As some have said before, choose to sin, choose to suffer. And I don't know what sin you're choosing, but I'm guessing there are people in this room that are experiencing the suffering as a direct result of sin. Now, some suffering comes because it's the brokenness and the fallenness of our sinful world that we live in, and we just get the shrapnel of other people's sin. But a lot of suffering comes as a direct result of our own sin. The church stood firm in the face of deadly hostility, but they began to compromise when they were enticed with daily hedonism. If, if Satan can't destroy the church as a devouring lion, he will look to make inroads as a, as a deceiving serpent. And often he whispers seductive things like, it's okay if you do this, right? And they're half-truths, three-quarter truths, right? That begin to get us to drift away off the centrality of the gospel and into the way of the world. It's okay if you continue the conversation with that person that's not your significant other or that spouse. It's just innocent. Yeah, you can have a dinner with them. Yeah, it's okay if you're alone. Yeah, you see where I'm going? And we begin to justify and rationalize. And then you're like, how did I end up here? It's a series of decisions. It's often not just one horrible, horrific decision in the moment. No, it's a series of decisions of desertions of God that have led up to that point. We have to hold fast. The church here, but I, this I hold against you. Some are holding to the teaching of a Baal. And the result of that was they were eating food sacrificed to idols and practicing sexual immorality. So the fruit of, of, of the idolatry, the desertion from God's word, was that they were literally, you know, in their committing idolatry and immorality. They drifted in their, in their doctrine and in their deeds. You're like, who's Balaam and what's the point of that here? Well, you see what... what what Jesus is doing here is he's layering several different things to demonstrate a pattern in our lives, man, from Balaam in the Old Testament to the Nicolaitans in the New Testament to then the modern church, even us today. So who is Balaam? You have to go back to Numbers in 22 to 25. Balaam was a prophet of God. He was a pastor, if you would. He was God's mouthpiece to God's people. And one day, the Moab king, Moab king, Balak, got in his ears and said, hey, if I give you this amount of money, would you help me curse Israel? Because I'm at war with him. And you know what Balaam did? He took his eyes off the word and went to the world and allowed his heart to want culture, want money. I'm not getting paid enough by God. I ain't getting a, nobody respects me around here. Balak finally showing me a little appreciation. You know what he does? Okay, I'll take the money. And so he begins to then try and curse Israel. And guess what God does? He prevents it. 
because God's awesome. He turns what, what was intended as curses into actual blessings. And there's some, something involving a talking donkey, which is awesome. God's word's awesome, right? Read it on your own. Um, you know, it's like Shrek come to life. Um, but ultimately, while those direct curses didn't succeed, what happened was he said, hey, Balak, if you really want to get the Israel, start whispering sweet nothings into their ears. Allow the Moabite women to go into their camp and, and just penetrate, and they'll let their guard down eventually. And that's what happened. And the Israelites succumbed to the Moabite women, and they be, or not, succumbed to the temptation of intermarrying, which was forbidden by God to intermarry in terms of spiritual, not, not because of the color of the skin, but because of the religion. And they began to compromise who they were. Sexual immorality began to happen. Idolatry began to happen. And to the point of, if you want to see how it ends in Numbers 25, 24,000 people were struck down by God because of their idolatry. God does not mess around. Sin has significant consequences. One of the biggest takeaways from this text in this letter is that the consequences of sin are significant, eternal, and real. Wake up! It is a huge deal what you're doing because we begin to lie to ourselves. It's not a big deal. Everybody else around me is doing it. Culture has shifted a little bit and what was not acceptable at one time is now acceptable today. So I'm going to begin to shift and I begin to compromise over time. And then they, they go to the church. Now some of you are with the Nicolaitans and the Nicolaitans are a modern example of what had happened in, the, in Balaam. Basically, they were coming in the Nicolaitans going, hey, Jesus, is, God's great, but it's okay if you compromise sexually. It's okay if you worship the state a little bit. It's okay. You know, they want you to do the, say, hail Caesar in, in this pagan. What's the harm in that? A lot of harm. And the Nicolaitans followed a guy by the name, most likely followed a guy by the name of Nicholas. You know who that guy is? He's in Acts 6. He's one of the first deacons. So here in the Old Testament, you have a prophet of God. Here in the New Testament, you have Nicholas, who was installed as a deacon of God, who themselves began to drift from God. You see where, you know, it's drifting because you take your eyes off of God. You're no longer worshiping God. You're worshiping culture. The names of Baal means he rules the people. Nicholas means he conquers the people. Man, there is only one ruler and one conqueror, Jesus. Like this whole letter is a contrast between Jesus and the world. A pure relationship and religion which has been compromised. Pergamum in the church, the church, the whispers in the church, there's nothing wrong with being friendly with Rome. There's nothing wrong with a little extra loyalty to Caesar. There's nothing wrong with saying Caesar is Lord. Yes, there is. There shall be no other gods before our God. Friends, if you think that your hope is eternally is tied into who sits in the White House in 2024, I love you, but you're wrong. Jesus reigns. He's overall. That's the whole heartbeat of Revelation, he's risen and he's reigning. And this is a powerful picture of Jesus reigning. He is in session as the judge. That's what's going on here. And a compromising heart to the word of God leads to a destructive life apart from God as it flows from a heart that refuses to worship God because it thinks it knows better than God. I need to be satisfied over here. And Jesus is like, I'm all you need. 
James in his letter, the, the half-brother in his, in his book, James 4, 4 says this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, look, we want to love people, but we don't want to compromise our faith. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. We can absolutely have friends with people that we should have friendships with people that don't know Jesus because we need to share the love of God with them, but we can't become like them in their spiritual thinking. We can't compromise from what God's word says, like common stumbling blocks in here. They had some stumbling blocks in the area of gender, sexuality, I got those. Well, how about this? What about a, a cultural, like, I want my kid to be the best athlete ever or the best musician. So what does that mean? I got to put them in all these things and they practice on Sunday morning, the travel team. Therefore, I can't be at church. Therefore, it takes all my money. I can't give. And all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm not in the word as much because I'm disconnected. And you know what you're becoming? More and more and more and more like what? The world. Oh, but it's for my kids. Okay, but kids? Jesus. Kids, Jesus, right? Job, Jesus. I, I, I need to rise in my company. I need to spend all these hours studying. I don't got time to go to small group because I need to succeed. That's where my identity, oh wait, where's my identity? My source of money, I need provision. Who are you trusting? I'm just gonna work harder at my job some more time there so that I can be successful. Wait a minute, who's the ultimate provider? Jesus. Now we're to work and give all that we have. But who's ultimately, who's on your heart? Ask the hard question. We compromise our doctrine. We compromise our deeds. I mean, it's getting a little bit more hot and, uh, you know, around my seat here at, at work because, like, culture has shift, shifted in some key areas. People are like, it's not cool anymore to be, have a biblical standpoint on this or that. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to compromise? You're going to live as a person of conviction? I love what Danny Aiken says about compromise. He, he, he's, a, he's a pastor, a seminary professor at Southeastern. He says this about, compromise is one of Satan's most effective and often used weapons for at least four reasons. These are all from Danny Aiken. He says, it occurs slowly so you don't often recognize the change, right? One little thing at a time. It also lowers the original standards. This is the standard. It lowers the standard. You begin to rationalize and justify it. It's seldom offensive because it's perceived as loving. In fact, to follow God's word is then perceived as unloving, which is just not true. But it's so true in our world, is it not right now? Pick your favorite topic. The most unloving thing we could do is say that anything apart from the gospel will save you or to withhold the gospel from someone because we feel like we're going to offend them. We need to communicate with grace and love. But then the fourth and finally, Danny Aiken says, it eventually leads you to accept what you once rejected and even thought repulsive. It's been well said that one, what one generation tolerates and the next generation will accept and what that generation accepts, the next generation will celebrate. Don't we see that happening right now? Where is your source of truth? The compromise for this church happened because they shifted their, they deserted the truth of God and they followed the, the, truth, what, the truth of man, the teaching literally of verse 14 of Balaam and the teaching of verse 15 of the Nicolaitans. Who are you following today? Where is your truth? Where is your truth? You want more in depth on this? So what happens? Read Romans chapter one. 
where God, where people chose and said, God, I want to worship the created over the creator. And God's like, fine, eventually, I will give you to what you want. And it leads, leads to destruction, ultimate destruction. But praise God that even when we are a mess and far from him, he is continuing to pursue us. Because look at, look at the potential and the promised consequence from the decision to compromise and desert the word of God. He says this in 16, if you do not repent, and we'll get to repentance in a second, I will come to you soon and I will war against them with the sword of my mouth. Come to you soon is not a reference to the second coming. It is a reference to you will experience the wrath of God now. It's serious and it's significant. Remember Balaam, 24,000 gone via a plague because God will not yield his glory to another. Now, I don't, I don't know the details. I don't know what it will look like when he wars against you. I just don't know that it will not turn out well for you. But there's hope, and here's the hope. It's right in 16, the first two words. Therefore, what? Repent. In the middle of our mess, God offers mercy. Praise God. He doesn't have to. But he chooses to because he loves you and he sees you and he looks to you and says, I want a restored relationship with you. And so repent. What is repentance? It's, it's a word that means to change. It means to change so my heart, which leads to a change in my thinking, which leads to a change in my actions. It's turning from sin, turning to God. It's a return to what God created us. He created every single one of you online, in person, in his image, because he wants a personal relationship with you. He wants a restored, unbroken, personal relationship with you. And we sin entered the world because we're idiots and we chose the world over the word. Go back to Genesis 3. That's what Adam and Eve did. They fell trapped to Satan's prey and his lies and it, it tapped into their flesh. And they said, okay, I want to eat the tree that God told me not to. Sin entered the world. Therefore, for, therefore, we had no hope of saving ourselves. But God being rich in mercy, sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the price for our sin that we could not pay. He rose from the dead. And now if we put our hope and our faith in him, we will experience eternal life and he will give us what we cannot get on our own. Eternity with him, but even on earth, eternal hope, peace, joy that we can't experience outside of Jesus. So what, but repentance is a process. It's a process of change but it's made in moments of decision. Here's a process of, of repentance. It begins with the brokenness over my own sin. I begin to see and I begin to notice. Jesus is like, wake up to the reality that you have deserted me, but I have not deserted you. I need to recognize my sin from where I have wandered away from God's word and have fallen to the seduction of the world. And I need to own it. It's not the world's fault. It's my fault. The problem isn't out there, but we try to justify it and rationalize it. It is in here. My heart is sinful. I need help, right? I need help. Jesus, help. And I'm broken by that. I don't want to be this way anymore. Jesus, I'm going to... Then lead in the next two. Confess my sin. I'm going to speak it. Jesus, I have fallen short in this area. In my anger... In my immorality, in my idolatry, in my pride, I confess it. 
and I throw myself on the promises of God that God gives us in 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, God is what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, not some of it. There is no sin so great that you have committed that can outrun the grace of God. And you never grow to be such a great Christian that you outgrow your need for the grace of God. Confession and repentance need to be a daily part of our journey. And then third, turn from my sin and turn to God. I'm not just going to go, okay, no longer am I going to not, I'm no longer am I going to do this, whatever your this is, but I'm now going to go to God. I'm going to grow to be more like God. And that's where community comes in because we need help. And fourth and finally, after I turn from sin and to God through the word of God, I, I provide due restitution for my sin. I make it right. I confess to others that I have sinned along, against along the way. If I've stolen, I give the money back. Those types of things. The call to commit, the repentance here is a command. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's an exhortation. Repent. And it's a door. Because the journey to renewal is paved and, rest, is, and restoration is paved with repentance. Your heart was created for a restored relationship with God our Father. And the road to that begins with repentance. And we just journey on it one day at a time because I need to repent every day because I fall short of God's grace. Praise God for his grace. I hope I sin less and less every day, but until Jesus comes back, I know that I'm going to fall short. Where do you need to repent today? And I pray that you see the heart of God here that is making a way for you previously where there was no way, even when we have deserted him. He doesn't go, hey, here's a death penalty without hope. He goes, there is a death penalty coming, but there is hope. And you can avoid it because the antidote for the consequences of your decision is repentance because my son paid for it already. Will you repent today, church? And experience that right relationship with God? Where are you worshiping culture over Christ that you need to repent of today. It could be in a big thing, or it could just be honestly in a little thing, because Satan, the whispering, it's not that big a deal. Like, how many lies we tell ourselves? It's not that big a deal. It won't hurt anybody, and Jesus is like, yes, it will. It hurts you and those around you. No one will notice. God already knows. We are all naked, Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, right? Before God. He knows. You're not going to fool him. You might clear your internet browsing history to the point that no one can find it. God already knows. It's your heart to so stop lying to yourself and let's just be real and repent. The compromising of my faith comes when I worship culture over Christ. The second daily decision of devotion that we have to make today is, is hold fast to your faith and receive eternal reward. And he, he commends some in the church for holding fast even when others are compromising. He's like, I, I get it. I know that it's really hard where you are. It's like you're living in Satan's throne room, but take heart because my Savior still sits on the throne. And there's hope and there's heart. And he looks in 17, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. He's like, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are your ears tuned in to the Holy Spirit? The word conquer here 
to the one who conquers. And I just want to encourage you, friends, that there is the possibility of conquering and overcoming. Jesus here in 13 says, I know it's really hard where you are. Hostility, adversity, difficulty. It's like living in Satan's throne. But here's the overcoming hope and help. My son has already overcome. Jesus says, I have already overcome. I have already purchased the victory. And you can too by clinging to me. And look at what happens here. We overcome God by clinging to the character of God, trusting the truth of the word of God, proclaiming the promises of God, and surrendering our heart to the Son of God. It doesn't mean the battle's over. It just means we can fight from the posture of victory. We can't relax. But Jesus is greater. Here are some rewards that Jesus promises. Again, if you are choose to be devoted to me, Jesus says, if you choose to conquer, if you choose to overcome, you can But look at what happens here. The first reward that you get from Christ is daily provision from Christ. The word hidden manna you see right there. It's a direct reference back to the Old Testament, to the story of Exodus, when God's people were once in bondage and captivity in Egypt. And God broke them out of that captivity, right? He did amazing things. He showed himself to be supreme and sovereign over the magicians of this world. And he broke them out of captivity and he led them on the journey to the promised land. But there was this thing called the desert in the middle of the way. And they faced obstacles all the time. And, and so fast and frequent, the, the initial Israelites, God's people were like, yay, we're out of Egypt. And then by about a couple days in, they're like, can we go back yet? Because I'm tired of the sand. I'm tired of the dirt. I'm tired of being hungry. I'm tired of the wandering in the wilderness. And maybe that's you right now. Because the reality is, is when we are in the God, but the reality is God always provides, but we have to be willing to be dependent on him because we haven't reached our promised land yet either. God might have broken us out of the initial bondage to sin, just like the initial Israelites in the Old Testament, but we haven't reached our promised land, which is heaven. And in the wandering in the wilderness of the world, we might too look back to, it was actually pretty cool in my pre-Christ days because I had more money, life was better, I had more friends, right? It was easier. And there's a temptation to go back to it. And Jesus says, I'm more, I'm greater than it. And I will always provide. He says, when you don't have any food, and out of, out of the sky, God brought manna and he brought quail to feed them each and every day. Now, it was the same thing every day for a long period of time. Some of you might get tired of that. Jesus doesn't promise you variety in life. He promises you victory in life. He won't always give you extra, but he will always give you enough today. And then he'll give you enough tomorrow because he wants to teach you dependence. So friends, where have you wandered from the provision of Christ to seek provision on your own? Where have you wandered from the provision of Christ to try to find your sufficiency and your provision in the world? God will never lead you to a place he won't provide for you. Look to him right now. It's a promise right now, a promise of provision, a promise of sustenance, that he's strong enough to give you everything that you need. It's also a direct contradiction. He says, you have wandered off and part of the fruit of your idolatry is you are eating the idol sacrifice, uh, food sacrificed to idols. Jesus says, here's, he's, here's eternal food. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. If you come to me and eat me, I, you will never be hungry or thirst for the again. So some of us need to change our appetite, need to change our diet, fill up on Jesus, and then you won't have room to be hungry for the world. If you fill up on the world first, there's not a lot of room left for Jesus. Finances, time, calendar. Who's first? Does God get your best off the top? Your time, your talent, your money, your resources? Or does the world? Second, 
reward, victory in Christ. Look at this. These, these images are powerful. I will give to him a white stone. There are a few possible meanings here, and they're both amazing. First, in, in this day and age, the white stones were used by judges to put into a vessel when the court decision was being rendered. Remember, this whole, this whole passage, Jesus is reigning as judge. And you know what? When you get a white stone from a judge, you know what that meant? They were voting to acquit you of the crime for which you have been accused. Isn't that awesome? It's a reference to atonement. It's a reference to justification. It's a reference to those, though you might sit at the defense table and be guilty of every charge that Satan the prosecutor reads off to you. Jesus gets up as your defense attorney and says, put it on my tab, it is finished. And then the judge says, you are free. Your price has been paid. The other application or illustration from a white stone in this day and age was it was also used as an invitation to a banquet feast. And Jesus today is inviting you to a banquet, to a table that is overflowing with mercy and goodness and God's grace. That is always enough. That as we are wandering in the wilderness, his manna will sustain us here on earth. And we look forward to that great banquet in heaven where we will get to sit down and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come all day, every day. And you go back to Psalm 23 and you go, here's the reality that as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and maybe you're feeling that right now, my God is with me. His rod and staff, they guide me, they comfort me. And the Lord is preparing before me in the presence of my enemies, right? Not the absence, in the presence, a table that overflows with the mercy and goodness of God. Praise him. It's victory for all of eternity. It's a greater reward. What a beautiful reward. And the third and final reward that Jesus is offering us in this text is this is the new identity. I will give you a white stone with what? A new what? A new name. A new name written on it. You're not who you once were. You're not who the world says you are. You who I say I am. Called. Chosen. Redeemed. Restored. Renewed. Son. Daughter. Your family. I've taken you from what was old and given you what was new. You were lost and I found you. You once were hostile to God in this battle and now you're considered holy. You were once an adversary and now you're adopted. You were once forsaken and now you're family. You have a new identity through the victory of me, Jesus says. What a reward. And a new name, a new identity provides a new way of life, God's word. And we have to trust the reality that everything that we need for life, First, Second Peter 1, is in God's word. Everything. It's sufficient. It's enough. And if you're searching for peace, you won't find it outside of God and God's word. You might have temporary happiness, but it will just reveal your need for a little bit more and it will ultimately lead you to a point of devastation and destruction. Jesus loves you and he sees you. But look at the last, second to last word of this passage. No one knows except the one who, what? Receives it. Receives it. Jesus is offering you an eternal reward that you get to taste a little bit here on earth, but you have to choose to receive it. He's providing for you this beautiful hope and peace and joy that he himself purchased 
on the cross and then God raised him from the dead and that he is sitting now reigning over you and he's offering you this abundant gifts and he's, do will you choose to receive it? Door A, be devoted to me and receive these gifts. Door B, desert me and experience my wrath. That decision is with each and every one of us right now. Which one will you choose? Again, the illustrations here used in this text were people that at one point were walking very, very closely with the Lord, Balaam and Nicholas, and then they wandered and then they brought other people with them. But Jesus says, even when you're wandering, there's hope because I'm still working. And the work that, my, that I did on the cross still stands sufficient, supreme in all and over all. Church, where do you need to repent today? What sin where you've been choosing and worshiping culture over Christ do you need to repent of right now? It can be big or it can be little, but man, the wrath of God is coming if you do not repent sooner rather than later. And maybe you're in a position where you need to rest in these beautiful rewards that Jesus offers you and that can give you confidence to live faithfully like Antipas did, to stand with courage, even to the point of death. Maybe you need to rejoice because of these rewards. Maybe you need to choose and have an eternal perspective, look to the promised land through the lens of the promises of God as opposed to staring at the problems in your life from your own personal perspective. Let's apply God's promise, God's word to the lens with which we view the world as a, instead of allowing God's world to be the lens with which we view God's word. It's a huge shift, right? Are you allowing God's word or the world to be your lens with which you interpret? Would you close your eyes with me right now? In the quiet, in this place, the decision time, will you choose to be devoted to God's word or will you choose to desert God's word? Will you choose in making that choice or you, you're making a choice to receive a reward or receive God's wrath? So what's your choice? What's your decision? Will you be devoted or will you desert? We're gonna sing a song here in a minute and, and I, just, I would just ask that you would allow God to look into your heart and that you would respond however he leads. If you would like someone to pray with you, we would love to walk with you and pray with you. Pastor Andrew will be back in the back near the welcome table to pray with you. I'll be up front if you would like prayer about anything. Here's the beauty, beautiful reality. We are a mess, but God's mercy is enough. God's mercy says, I will take away from you what you do deserve. You deserve my wrath. But in my heart for you, friend and child, I want to give you the reward of eternal life because I sent Jesus. And God's grace gives us something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve Jesus, but it's a free gift. But we have to choose to receive it. We have to choose to follow him and surrender and submit to him and his word. The new life is a new way of life. So let's repent from where we have fallen. Maybe for the first time and you've never given your life to the Lord. May today be the day because Jesus loves you and there's no peace outside of Jesus. Or maybe you, like Balaam or Nicolai, you started in the Lord, but you've wandered and walked away in a big area or a little area. Come back today. 
Return again, renew again, realign your life again, because God's grace is sufficient. Who will you worship today? Who will you ascribe the most worth to today? So let the, ask, ask the Lord to open your heart. I'm going to be silent for the next 30 to 45 seconds, then I'll close in prayer, and then we'll begin to sing. Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of your word. We love you. We thank you that even in our mess, even when we wander, you, you never leave us. You never desert us. And you are pursuing us with a great love and warning us, God, and giving us chance after chance to turn and come back. The consequences of sin are real and they're devastating. But Jesus, your victory over sin is final and it's liberating. God, forgive us for those ways that we have wandered and worshiped the culture over Christ. Worshiped the words of the world over the word of God. And return us again and afresh to who you are today. Help us to confess and repent from the ways that we have wandered from you and to receive the unending grace that is offered unconditionally by you. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.